0: Let's get to the Bible. Joshua chapter 5. If you found that, why don't you stand and we'll read together God's Word. Joshua chapter 5. It's a passage I almost skipped. I did it by accident. I laid out the preaching calendar. I always do that, usually in the late fall, getting up close to the turn of the year. Laid out for the following year. And I had Joshua and I went through and picked out all the passages. And for some reason, I had not put down verses 13, 14, and 15 in chapter 5. And it is an amazing passage. So we're going to turn our attention there. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, 14, and 15. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, A man was standing there before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and he said to him, Are you for us or our adversaries? And He said, No. I am the commander of the army of the Lord and now I've come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshipped. And he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Father, I pray that by your grace and through your Spirit you would speak to the hearts of your people. We pray that, that you are honored. God, I asked that I would be an accurate Representative of what the Bible says. May this word be our boundary, be our source of life. May it take us to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May be seated. Being overwhelmed, being overwhelmed is a terrible thing, to feel the pressure of anxiety or the weight of the world, to sense that there is no way out, there is is no way forward, and there seems to be no real help coming, it can be soul-crushing. Look, even if you believe, like the psalmist did, even if you believe, I look to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Even if you believe that, it can genuinely feel like that help is slow in coming. Your chest feels heavy, your mind feels numb, your heart just hurts. Maybe you wonder with John the Revelator, how long, O oh Lord, faithful and true? How long, do I have to, how long do I have to fight this battle? How long do I have to cry these tears? How long do I have to feel this burden? Because the truth of the matter is that godly living and Christian responsibility can be a lonely endeavor. I think for all that carry some of that, you carry some of that, this paragraph right here is filled with instruction and significance. Let's get up to speed, just in case you hadn't been following along. Let's get up to speed here in Joshua chapter 5. Here's what God has done. God has brought his people With Joshua in front, God has brought his people right out of the wilderness. They've come up to the Jordan River. He brought them through on a dry, dry riverbed. He stopped the Jordan River. It flooded back behind, went dry on the other side. They walked completely through. They got on the other side of the river, and there God took away the shame of having been slaves in Egypt. God brought them to to start the Passover again, they are ready to go into the promised land. They've got a monumental task in front of them. Jericho. You know the story that the walls come tumbling down, but they don't know that. Jericho awaits that fortified, walled-up city this giant obstacle that stands between God's people and flourishing. Here's what the writer does. I love the Bible so much because you, sometimes you get a wide angle, you see the people of God, and then sometimes the spotlight comes down on one individual. And here, here's what the writer has done in this passage. The writer has brought us down to Joshua as he is weighing out, What am I going to do? Joshua is going to learn something that every single person in here, including myself, Joshua is going to learn something that all of us need to hold on to. That is that no matter the challenge, our God always gets us through. I defy any of you. To come with your challenge and say, God won't get me through it. No matter the challenge, our God always gets us through. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's look at the passage. Let's read the Bible. Let's find out some things about our good God. And all of my points are going to be about God. The whole Bible is about God. It's good for us to know more about God. So let's look at this passage. What does it tell me about God? Here's the first one. Number one, our God is present. He's here. He's with you. You see it there in verse 13. Go with me to verse 13, and and before you jump ahead, just get the feel now. It's written in such a way that we already get the feel. Verse 13 is written so that you come into the passage and feel it. The army of Israel, and not quite an army yet, but the army of Israel is just before engaging in a hard conflict in front of them. They have an untrained leader named Joshua. Who knows whether Joshua is taking us in the right direction? I mean, my goodness, if the people grumbled about Moses, imagine how they feel about Joshua. Joshua. And think of Joshua, all him! Dim. He's already come across the Jordan River. Now it's flowing behind him. The Jordan River serves as a boundary. It, it, it keeps him. He, he can't retreat. In front of him, verse 13, in front of him is Fortress Jericho. It's, it's forbidding his advance. He can't go backwards. He's not sure how to go forwards. He never have seen a walled city before. And right here, what you find here, the writer's bringing us there. In this scene, we find Joshua starting to feel the weight of responsibility. He's starting to feel the sense of an uncertain future. What is it that is ahead of me? When you read the verse the way it's written, Read the verse the way it's written. It, there seems to be an indication that Joshua has now gone off by himself a little bit. He's turned aside to think and to meditate on what his next step will be. There it is, verse 13. Do you see it? When Joshua is by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. The, the way it's written, that word behold, it's like Behold, who who is that? There's a man standing there. Now, let's pause right there. Let's pause there, and let me just sort of put a parenthesis around this. There's a lot of discussion on who is the man standing there. Now, when we read down, we find out that he is divine. Some people have said he's just an angel. Uh, Some people will go on the other side and say, here is a pre-incarnate Christ like with the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, the fourth man in the furnace, maybe it's something like that. What we do know is that all, because he's going to worship, that indicates to us that this is a representation of God himself. Now, <clears throat> with that in mind, let's back up and get a running start at this story. Joshua is out by himself looking at the vexing problem of Jericho. He's out there by Jericho. He, he's looking at his problem, and as he looked at his problem, there he met his God. Paul's there. As a Christian person, when you look at your problem, there, there, there are those who will say, get your eyes off your problem, put them on God. Sometimes the problem is so much you can't look away from it. What I'm saying is that God is so good, he's going to meet you there. You look at your problem, and you'll see him. Why? It's because our God is present. Listen, Christian brothers and sisters. Our God is present and he is most present in our greatest challenge. When you don't have easy answers, when cliches don't do you any good, here's what our God does. He uses the weight of a burden. He he uses the anxiety of a problem. He, He uses the pain of a tragedy. He uses the sting of betrayal. To lift your eyes up and see him. Isn't that? Isn't that what Joseph told his brothers? You meant this for evil. But God was using it for good. Isn't that what David said in the 23rd Psalm? Have you memorized the 23rd Psalm? You need to memorize the 23rd, not just the one or two passages, you need to memorize the 23rd Psalm that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Isn't that what God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9? God says to him, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go look it's one thing it's one thing for you to hear that it's another thing to believe it and it is still another thing to to trust it let me make a couple of suggestions for you because this is where christian people get disoriented because we You can start piling guilt on top of guilt because you have a problem. You start worried about it. That worry makes you feel guilty. That guilt makes you get further away. It it can be a vicious cycle. Let me just give you a couple of things to do. One is is you you keep reading. You get your face in this book right here. This is not just a book. This is God speaking to you. This is life-giving. This is your direction. This is your food. This is how God feeds your soul through his word. You you read. You also need to remember. You need to think about the promises. Go, Go back to this passage. Remember Psalm 23. Go to the Psalms and read the prayers of David and make those prayers your own so that you're reading and remembering the promises of God. You need to repent. Repent. Don't fall into being a complainer don't fall into not trusting god if god has carried you through something and you didn't trust him to do it and he did it in a way you need to repent of that that's a sin if you've been angry at god that is something you actually need to repent of it is a sin to be angry and i know that the psychologists say you go ahead and express your anger to god and he can he can handle it certainly he can handle it he's god he can handle anything But if you felt that sort of anger, that is a presumption on the goodwill of God and the the sovereignty of God and Him leading you through. You you should just... Maybe you just know sin in your own life. Repentance is one of those things that is cleansing for your soul. And I would just add a fourth thing. And that is to open your mouth and pray. Ask God to fix the problem. Ask God to, to strengthen your faith. Why? Because our... God is present. Is present. Let me give you a second thing to consider from the passage. I didn't know a better way to say this, and I don't know how it's going to be <clears throat> received, but here's the second thing. Number two, our God is dangerous. Dangerous. I want to be careful how I say this because I, I don't want to overstate my case, but I do think that it needs to be said. Let me show you where I get it. You'll see it probably already In verse 13, look what Joshua sees in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. There's a man standing there. He's pulled his sword out of his sheath and ready for attack. This is the posture and position of a warrior. You read the Bible, you find out that he, we hear that in the Old Testament, that the Lord is a warrior. That, that he's on the offensive, that he is in the position of battle. Look, this is the same picture uh, you get in Numbers, Numbers 22. Go back and read that story. You know the, the story of Balaam? Uh, who's supposed to be a a prophet. He waffles back and forth, back and forth. He's riding his donkey and that donkey runs him into a wall and messes up his leg and he beats that donkey and finally the donkey uh, speaks. And what's amazing is not that the donkey spoke, but that Balaam talked back. They had a nice little conversation. Go, Go read the story. They have a conversation in the story and what the donkey tells him is, there's the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. Same picture. It's the same picture you find in 2 Chronicles when David had uh, sort of gotten fat and happy and counting everything he's got, all his uh, good things and, and had just sinned against the Lord. And there in the threshing floor is the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. It, it, it's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of danger. I didn't know how else to. I and mean, it's not exactly what you're going to preach on Sunday morning, but it's a picture of it's a picture of vengeance. It's a, it's a picture of vengeance reserved for the enemies of God. Brothers and sisters, it is important for us to remember that about the God of the Bible. It is is important for us to remember that the God of the Bible is one who feels indignation every day that he judges sin. It's a truth probably characterized best by by C.S. Lewis. You you probably know the Chronicles of Narnia. I've read uh, a few of those, not all of them. But in The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe... It's when Susan, um, it's a mythical retelling of the New Testament. It's when Susan asks Mr. Beaver about Aslan the lion. And she asks, is he quite safe? I feel really nervous about meeting a lion. And the beaver says to Susan, oh no, dear child, he is not safe but he is good and isn't that the beauty of the gospel that at the cross the love of God saves us from the judgment of God through Jesus the son of God that's the gospel the love of God saves us from the judgment of God through the son of God we uh, say the gospel like this that's implicit let me say it explicitly that god is the holy creator who created all of us in his image you were created in the image of god that image of god in you has been disfigured by your own sin that sin is so heinous to a holy god that you can't get to god and god will not fellowship with you in your sin that's judgment but because of the love of god he gives us jesus christ who is fully god and fully man who lived completely perfect in a way that you and I can't. He kept all of God's law, earning righteousness. And at the cross of Jesus, he takes our sin, paying for it, there's the judgment, takes the judgment, and gives us his righteousness, there's the love of God, so that any sinner that believes the gospel, that was the gospel, any sinner that believes that, repenting and believing, the Bible teaches that you'll be saved. This passage tells me that our God is present, that that he he is dangerous, but he fights for his people. But Joshua's not convinced. He's not sure, so he presses the envelope just a little bit, and that brings me to my next point. Not um, Not only is God present and dangerous, but God is bigger. God is bigger. In fact, you can write on your piece of paper if you wanted to, God is bigger than, and just fill in the blank. God is bigger than. What is it that's got you, that's hurt you? What is it? God is bigger than. Let's join the conversation between Joshua and the visitor. Look at the question in verses 13 and 14. I don't blame him for the question, by the way. Verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, it's a legitimate question. Are you for us or for our adversaries over there in Jericho? And the angel, look, look, look what he said, and he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and I have come. Good question. Good question, but self-centered. What a, what a narrow-minded, self-centered Joshua, I don't blame him for this, but he's a leader and i got a plan. I have a plan. I have an agenda. And I want, I want you, because you look pretty formidable, to fit into my plan. I want you. I'm recruiting you to join our side. I'm reading a book right now um, entitled The Fiery Gospel. I don't know. I have, I'm not very far into it, so I'm not recommending it. I'm just reading it. It's about the Battle Hymn of the Republic. The Battle Hymn of the Republic um, is sung a lot uh, during uh, July 4th celebrations. It's been something in the United States for 150 years. It was actually written by a Unitarian woman. She, she, so she didn't believe any of the gospel. And you can see some of that in what she wrote, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Uh, but there in the Battle Hymn of the Republic, even there you find the, the terrible swift sword So you, you understand why Joshua wants God to fit into his plan. But you'll notice what the angel of the Lord says in verse 14. This visitor completely rebukes him. Go back and read it. Look what, Joshua says, are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord and I've come. Joshua, you got it all wrong. Your vision is small. You have categories. I don't fit your categories. Joshua, you've asked the wrong question. I have not come to take sides. I have come to take over. You don't put me In your category, I put you in mine. Joshua, your categories have to do with winning and losing. Your categories uh, have to do with us and them. Your, Your categories have to do with for me or against me. And the visitor's letting Joshua know, Joshua, this is so much bigger than your little world. so much bigger than some category you try to put me in. Just as he is so much bigger than the categories we try to put him in. Bigger than our wants, bigger than our favorites, bigger than our desires, bigger than our our plans. Uh, We used to sing the song around here The God of angel armies is always by my side. I understand the sentiment and I appreciate it. But the truth of the matter is we need to make sure that we are on his side. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, the first step, of course, is to put your faith in the crucified, resurrected Jesus the Son of God that saves sinners. For for those of you that are Christians, how how do you make sure that you are on God's side? That is you daily submitting yourself to God, giving yourself over to God, living your life for the glory of God, regardless of of what happens to you. That's you being more worried about your own sin than you meddling in other people's sin. I promise yours is just as offensive to God. That, that's you seeking to, you seeking to please the Lord in your private life. Because it's true, no matter the challenge, our God will get us through. He's present, he is dangerous, and he's always bigger. I'd like to tag one or two more things on the back end of this sermon. Here's the fourth point, number four. Our God is to be worshipped, worshipped. What you find right there in verse 14, it is the appropriate response. It's the, it's the right thing to do in verse 14. Let me give it to you. Uh, let, let's read verse 14. And the angel said, and he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshiped him, and then he said, What does my Lord say to his servant? What do we know about God? This is what we teach about God here at Hickory Grove, that God, God directs our path. God He dictates the strategy. They're going to find that out. God takes the initiative. God sets the terms. And and, and our job is to worship. Everything you'll ever do for God must be born out of worship. Don't go trying doing doing things for God if you have not genuinely worshipped. There is no serving God without knowing God, and you know God in worship. Now, I think we can learn some things about Joshua's... I think there are three things about Joshua's attitude that will help us, we can learn from. They're worth noting as we look at him. One is you find humility in worship. Do You see there in verse 14, the text says that he has knelt down to the ground. He has put his face to the ground. It is a complete surrendering Of self-will, self-pride, self-preservation, selfish desires. We all come with that. And worship is putting that before the Lord. It is humility in worship. It's not just humility in worship, though. There's also a readiness to serve. I mean, look what Joshua says to the Lord. This is what happens when genuine worship, when you are genuinely converted and you love to worship, then service is born out of that. Look what he says in verse 14. Joshua says, What does does my Lord say to his servant? Here's a familiar Old Testament response to a theophany. A theophany is God showing up. God showing himself or revealing himself. Uh, For instance... Remember the story of Samuel? Go back and read 1 Samuel. And there the spiritual obtuse Eli doesn't teach him very well. And the Lord comes and calls Samuel when he's young. And Eli never picks up on it. And finally he realizes, oh, this is God calling Samuel. And God calls to Samuel once again. And Samuel says, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Or the beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah is in the midst of a real genuine depression as all of the kings are gone. The king is dead and he gets just a little picture into the temple of the Lord. And there he sees God and it changes him. And Isaiah says, here my Lord, send me. It's It's not just humility and worship. It is this willingness and desire. To serve the Lord with your life. I would just put a third thing about his attitude there. It is the recognition that he is God and you are not. One of the great things to remember is he is God. You even see it's embedded in verse 14 when he says, What would my Lord say? It's a recognition that you're the one in charge that you are God and I am not, that is total submission, that is total dependence, that is total worship. It is, a, it is a joyful giving over your need to control. It is joyfully being all right with the fact that you are not in control. And joyfully Trusting that God is in control and he will carry you through. That God is, in fact, in control. Now, I want to put one more point on it and I'll close with this. You'll find it in verse 15, and that is number five, our God is holy. Our God is holy, but before you put that in a category, do not divorce God's holiness. From his kindness. His holiness is a kind holy. Let me show you where I get that. Look what, he, look, what, look what the Lord says to Joshua in verse 15. The Lord says to him in verse, it ought to sound familiar if you ever read the Bible. The Lord says, Take off your shoes from your feet or your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, God reminds Joshua that the dominant characteristic of God is his holiness. This is why we need the cross. This is why the gospel is good news, because we cannot be holy, but in Christ we are made righteous. But embedded, in verse 15, embedded in this statement of holiness is a really kind promise. You understand, these words are the exact same words that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush when Moses was first called to lead. And here God is making the promise. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Brothers and sisters, just as he was with Joshua, he will be with you. He will be with us. No matter the challenge, our God always gets us through. He is present. He is dangerous. He is bigger. He is to be worshipped. He is holy. As we close together this morning, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads for a few moments. Let's pray together. And uh, part of our response... After I pray, John will be up here leading us in song. That's a time for response. If you'd like to have someone pray with you, if you have a significant challenge and it, it doesn't seem to be going away and you'd like a pastor to pray with you, we'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you have a, a really a deeply felt need and you'd like someone to pray with you or over you about that. Maybe there's a relationship that is... Completely broken, and you don't know how to fix it, and there may be sin involved. Maybe you need spiritual healing. Maybe you need strength to face what you got to face. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. When we sing this morning, our pastors will be down here. If you'd like to come forward, we would love to pray with you about what's going on in your life. Father, thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus thank you for your love that is real and I pray that you would move in a way that honors honors the name of Christ, adorns the gospel and helps your people in Jesus name